We have been in a series and took a little break from last week uh, while I was gone, but a very short series um, like we do every single year on the family. And this year, unlike the previous three years, we're going back to the basics, hitting very fundamental lessons, and this morning is no different. I mean, you just read um, out of Colossians 3, 20 and 21, real simple teaching about what we as family members have as, I mean, at the very minimal level, a responsibility to each other. But that responsibility is so great because it is a reflection of the love that we have for our God. Remember, as we looked at the very beginning of the series, we're talking about the fact that God has got to be first. And if we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, well, guess what? Husbands will love their wives, and wives will be respectful toward their husbands. And we would show grace toward one another because we're not perfect husbands nor perfect wives. The same thing is true with a parent-child relationship. It's an amazing thing that when I look back upon 20, almost 25 years of preaching, how much of what I thought I knew from a scripture standpoint and put it into practice standpoint, I've had to grow. And in that growth and having seven children and knowing they're all different in many ways, there are times when I wonder, have I really learned much? I mean, you know, Malia is going to be 21. Okay, 20. Yeah, 21. Yeah, you need to tell me how old you're going to be on. Uh, and then Car- Carolyn's, McKenna is going to be three years old. I'm getting all my kids mixed up every time. This staff is at home. And 18 years between the, the two of them, you'd think that I'd have it down. But yet, I hear the same thing from many other parents who love the Lord, striving to serve the Lord, and wonder, you know, if we could, well, now that I'm a grandparent, I can do it. You try being a parent again, and you start all over with every single child. In fact, there was a woman, and she was well-known. I forgot her name. She would go around the country doing workshops and conventions, and she had, I think, a dozen children or 10 or something like that, a lot of children. And every one of them were perfectly obedient. I mean, not a step out of line, it seemed like. At least that's the appearance. And she said, if you just follow this, it'll work for you too. Until she had the last child. And I don't know this family at all. But like some families, that last child is the one that humbles you. McKenna is our humility. <laughs> and there's that sweet smile right now. <laughs> but uh, and it's amazing. We think after having Malia, it's like if we had no more children, life would have been so easy raising children. <laughs> that was the picture that we had as she was growing up. Allie comes along. We knew we had balance when Allie came along. Because <laughs> Allie was like stubborn. Well, she's still stubborn, but in a really good convicted way now. But it just the differences with every single child. But the teaching is still the same. If our desire is to serve the Lord, but our actions are such that we're not willing to take the time, the energy, the sacrifice to honor our God, then remember that passage that we had three weeks ago when we started this series, that righteousness exalts a nation? 
but sin is a reproof to any people or a reproach? Well, just as we were looking at a couple of weeks ago with the husband and wife relationship, when we don't honor our marriages, when we're unkind in our speech, or when we have some sense of arrogance and superiority over one another, when we have sexual infidelity or infidelity, period, whatever the situation is that we can bring reproach as a family, as a society, you know, we've said it once, we'll say it again, as a family goes, so goes society. So goes the nation. The same thing happens with the parent-child relationship. There are reproaches. And I want you to just look real quickly. There is a whole great list we could have put on here. But just a real uh, sample that we see that brings reproach upon any family and thus upon society. And we see these things going on in our society. They seem to be more and more prevalent, more open, if you will, about them. That things that maybe years ago would have been a rebellion, but it wouldn't be so open. Child rebellion is one of them. I mean, when children can rule their families, I say that's a pretty rebellious family. Because that's not what the teaching of God's word shares. We just read that in Colossians. But that happens. Today we have neglectful fathers. Fathers who, in some families, at best, work and provide financial support to the family. But you come home, and the first and only thing is that TV screen and that lazy boy, and give me my food, and I'm good to go, and don't talk to me because I'm tired. I've worked hard. But there's still a family. You got the rolling eyes. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about mocking eyes. We'll look at that passage a little bit, but every generation has seen it, the rolling eyes. Mom, Dad, if you only could understand me, you don't know much. That's what it feels from a parent's perspective with the rolling eyes and the mocking eyes. But those things happen. Happens in every generation. I was guilty. I may still be guilty. I hope not. (laughs) Abuse. We're talking about sex trafficking this morning in our Bible class. One of the reasons for sex trafficking, and I'm being very discreet here um, compared to our class this morning, comes from abuse, emotional and physical abuse. In fact, if I remember correctly, when I was mentioning the sexual assault center, one of the great reasons that children run away from home is because of abuse. And with that abuse, it is known that within 48 hours, I did not bring this up in our class this morning, but within 48 hours after a child runs away is typically when they are sought by traffickers. But it stems from abuse. And when children run away from home, I mean, that happens from family to family. Even Bill Cosby in his TV show with the kids, Theo wanted to run away from home. That happens. But uh, in, in dysfunctional families, it is very prevalent, and that happens time and time again. Then you have disrespect when p- fathers will provoke their children's wrath, or for that matter, mothers, but o- most often fathers, because we're harsh, we're hard, we're not as nurturing in our demeanor. Many of us aren't, at least. For all these reasons, we have reproach that is brought upon the family, that is brought upon the Lord's church, that is brought upon a society. And so when we talk about these things, we go back to the very basics. And what we see is two things. Children, obey your parents. Real real clear, this is what pleases God. Um, This past weekend, the question was asked about, you know, qualification of elders among preachers and uh, as the discussion was going on. And 
And the question was with regard to, well, if the children aren't honoring their parents, is that the onus on the children or is that a reflection of the father? And the answer is yes and no. <laughs> In a, you can look by case by case and see the parents can teach everything for the children to honor them and the children may not still honor them. But it's still a good parent. But as far as talking about, you know, the parents obeying your children, this is what is pleasing to the Lord. And so you might have a child that may not be a Christian but honors their parents. You may have children that are Christians but dishonor their parents. And so very clearly, children honor your parents or obey them. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And that's easy to happen uh, in many cases, especially when you have a strong authoritarian type father. So I, I've learned from, from personal experience. So what we have then is a very clearly um, taught scripture of what we are to do. But here's what I, what I think is not taught in the pulpits enough. I believe that every relationship, you can see the gospel message, you can see the nature of God, you can see something that is very Christ-oriented. And I believe the parent-child relationship is no different than when we look at the system within the Godhead where you have the father as authority and the son as one subject to that authority. It was the father that sends the son into this world. It was the father that, that ordains his son to be a living sacrifice. It was the father that said, here's what I want you to do and how I want you to do it. And in every case... Our Savior, Jesus Christ, honored our Heavenly Father. And it is that parallel that we should be able to see in the life of a parent-child relationship. It's ordained roles. Not that, you know, because you're the father or you're the mother, that somehow you're better. But it's the role of authority that has been placed by the one over another. And so when we look at scriptures and we can see this parallel, it helps us then to see how we ought to behave within our own family relationships. I'm telling you right now, with the way our society is going in this country, and for that matter in the industrialized nations, you're seeing a very different view of the family roles than what you see here. What we have are, are words that, that somehow make fuzzy the, the parent-child relationship, and it's Taught almost as if we're friends now. And then when there's time for actual training up, discipline, those times get blurred because of the, the friendship, if you will. Well, friendship is wonderful. But the roles are still parent and, and children and ordained roles that God has given. And so I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 5. I know many of times we use this passage and it's dealing with discipline that God has for his people. And God goes back to the Old Testament and how he dealt with his people in time past. But he uses the parent-child relationship as a parallel because that's exactly what we understand. We understand parables where we have real-life situations that we are familiar with to gain this better truth, the spiritual truth. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says, beginning here as we have in um, verse 7, 8, and 9, he says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you just like or as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not 
sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? And I'll go on. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And remember, we go back to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, or Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, where parents train up, or fathers train up your children in the way they should go. Here, we're talking about discipline. Now, I'm going to say this um, as a parenthetical note. Discipline, in the eyes or ears, I should say, of many, is some kind of a negative word. It's often correlated with punishment. But discipline, as anyone would know, is, you know, you have a form of discipline. You are well-disciplined. You're trained by something. And that training comes in the form of teaching. It comes in the form of correction. It comes in the form of warning. It comes in the form of rebuke. And it comes in the form of punishment. That's discipline. And it's a positive thing. If it's from the vantage point that we have in service to God, it's for the benefit of our children, not out of the selfishness of the parent. The problem is, as parents, sometimes we discipline out of convenience. We discipline out of selfishness. I'll give you for an example. I'm wanting to watch TV. I'm wanting to play a game. I want to do something that's only about me. And my child has the audacity to come in and interrupt me while I'm fulfilling my desire of recreation. And I get very easily disturbed. That's selfishness. And so I discipline them out of that selfishness in contrast to I'm a father my child has come to me no matter what the situation is, and it may be a legitimate time where I am not able to deal with them, but let's say it is that recreation time. It's just a TV show. It's just a game. It's just a book. It's just a song. It's just whatever recreation. And I listen, and I care for them, and I discipline them for their profit. So what I'm saying is, because we, we look at these roles, we see what the relationships are like, and we see the gospel in that. So when we talk about the par- sorry about that, when the parents role, we see the simple teaching, train them up in the way they should go. I make, it, I make no bones about the raising of our children. I know that um, homeschooling today is not perceived like it was 20 years ago. Um, 25 years ago, I remember you were socially awkward, backward, not acceptable in our society to homeschool. It just wasn't accepted. Um, we started homeschooling our children, and I remember uh, when they were very young, people asking questions and so on and so forth about them. And I made no bones then. I still today make it very clear. I don't care what kind of job my children have. I don't care that they bring home a lot of money or a little bit of money. I don't care that they have some 
prestige. I don't care about anything as long as they're going to be faithful to God. Amen. When we breathe our last and we're called home to be with our God, God willing, that's all that will have mattered. And so, if they're not the brightest academically because I don't push it upon them, it's not that because we're lazy. I want them to be focused on the Lord. Uh, that's what I want their energy on. There's much sacrifice in that. We can spend hours and hours and get their ACT and SAT scores up. We can get their tests and quizzes up. And we can get all the activities so that they get scholarships up. And we can sacrifice in all of those things. But where's our time in training them up in the way they should go? They're marching to Zion, brethren. At least that's what they should be taught to do. And that takes a lot of training from parents. It does not simply come in the form of having a family devotional. And then you're good for the day. You did it. Like every day we got devotionals as if now I'm good. It's the morning, noon, and night. It's a passage like in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and chapter 6 when you raise up in the morning and every part of God's word is on the doorframe of your house. It's on the front of your eyes. It's on your hands. It's on your feet. It's everywhere. God is first and foremost in everything. That takes sacrifice. Having those conversations that are sometimes difficult because of the subject matter and the, the age that we live in, but necessary so that they are taught in the way they should go. I mean, one of the benefits that I get of preparing a, a sermon while at home is my children get to, they get to be in my office, which is in my bedroom. <laughs> and they get to see Here's dad's Bible class, and here's dad's sermon, and what have you. Ask questions. That's a fringe benefit, but the, all those questions that sometimes gets pretty touchy. And you explain some things that, as parents, I don't want to explain to them. I'm going to wait till they get old enough from a selfish standpoint. That way they get to learn it. But then on the flip side is I don't want them to learn it from anyone but me. <laughs> it's a struggle, but it takes sacrifice. The flip side is, and, and I have to say I've been guilty of this, although I've never intended to be guilty of this. Even as I have preached sermons on, fathers not provoking your children to wrath. One of the things Julie has helped me with, and maybe it's because she's female, maybe she's just Julie, but she, um, especially early in the marriage, was a lot more nurturing than I. <laughs> she says I've turned to mush as I've gotten older. <laughs> I don't know. But early on, our, our girls really took the blunt of dad being just this hard, you know, make sure you do it just right in my way or the highway. And, you know, I should have been in the military mindset. <laughs> and I'm not so sure if I've discouraged my children at times instead of encouraged them through the, through the discipline process. I believe the whole concept of not provoking your children to wrath is that when you train them up, you train them up graciously that iron fist can only get you so far it may mean that your children will stand up at attention and they will listen to you perfectly 
but is it going to be out of love? Will they love you or will they want to leave the house and be done with you? That's the balancing act, and I still don't have it down. I don't know if I'll ever get it down. (laughs) But the desire is to graciously train them up in the way they should go and not provoke them to be discouraged. That's our role. It's real simple. If we teach our children to love God first, and not just with our words teach them, but in our daily lives. You know, I was mentioning before the sermon about, um, you know, going to someplace here in Franklin and, and, and going and loving on our neighbors. No different than what Phil was teaching in Matthew chapter 23, or excuse me, Matthew 25, where you love your, your neighbor, care for them, You know, it's one thing to have a Bible study, sit down with your children and and tell them we should love one another. It's another to love one another. And they actually see it as a part of your life. And by the way, not just once a year. And so Matthew 22, verse 37 following, love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Show your children that you love God and you love your neighbor. Take them. This is one thing that I love with the Hayes when they first uh, joined with us. Um, well, not a couple of years I'm thinking now. I forget how long y'all have been here. But, but uh, when, when we went out, they had all their children passing the coats out, getting the coats ready, passing the food that we were giving as, as those that we would love and talking to them. Having their children engage in these activities rather than just mom and dad do it and we'll get a babysitter. How wonderful. What a great example. What a great family activity. And when you do these things on a, on a daily basis, brethren, you're going to have children learning to love God because they saw it in mom and dad. That's how they're being trained up in the way they should go. Children have, oh man, I don't know. <laughs> it was working good on the PowerPoint. <laughs> children have that same similar teaching. It's simple, simple to understand. And, and notice there's just these two Passages that really are explicit commandments. Parents, here's how I want you to train up your children. Children, here's what I want you to do. Obey your parents. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 2, honor your parents, which is the first commandment with promise. And when you read like Exodus chapter 20 verse 12, if you notice, it was the first commandment that was given with a promise. That's why it says that, right? This is the first commandment with a promise. What is a promise? Well, in the Old Testament, the promise is that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Well, there's, there's a proverbial truth to that. Generally speaking, you learn from mom and dad who love God, and they train you up in the way that you should go, and guess what? You have a long, productive life. Does it mean productive means it's not hard, not difficult, not with, without its trials, but a good life in serving the Lord? And that's what we want for our children, don't we? We want success for our children the question is what does that success look like and the flip side is children then have the absolute responsibility to learn the role just as the the son was subject to the father in heaven our savior jesus christ was subject to our father is subject to him that's our role that we have as children and sometimes in our family's lives it's not ideal it's messy You know, 
What happens when you have a child and they become believers and then the parents are non-believers? Or what happens when your child, when your father is a Christian, but he doesn't live like one? And you're supposed to submit to that? I mean, but the ideal situation is you obey your father and your mother in the Lord. In the Lord, mind you. Not against the Lord, but in him. And receive your discipline. The training up that your parents have for you is because they want you to go in a certain direction. I hope the direction is not that you have this particular job, but the direction is that you have this particular life. A life that loves God. But we live in a time in which you seem like you're mean-spirited. You are a tyrant if you expect children to listen to you. And that's, that's not true. Children, God has given you, even at the youngest of age, the freedom to listen to mom and dad. Now, mind you, you have consequences depending on which house you live in. If you listen, you have consequences. If you don't listen, you have consequences. Some families may not have consequences like that. And children that are young and fleshly-minded like those parents. I like it if I'm fleshly-minded, not having any consequences. I can do whatever I want until I get in trouble. And I'll be very clear with you, children. When I was young, I was stubborn like Allie. Sorry, Allie, keep picking on you. So stubborn, I would fight against my mom and my grandmother. I'd fight against my dad. Whatever time, little time I had with him when I was young. Because I did what I wanted to do. In fact, instead of picking on Alex, you pick on Dane. Because <laughs> Dane's just like me. There are moments when I was scared for my life. I'll just let parents extrapolate what you would be scared of as a teenager. But because of my choices, my life nearly ended a few times. Physically, and sometimes from a standpoint of what happens when you are a young teenager and, and you get in trouble with the law and what have you. I look back and for all that I've heard from many Christians that said, Mitch, you know, one of the blessings you've been to the Lord's church is your upbringing was very different. You came from the world and from a worldly way of living. I'll have to say there are times when I would have loved to have been in the footsteps of having parents that would train me up in the way I should have gone. What a great blessing it would have been for me. Maybe I would have rebelled against them. Maybe I would have rolled my eyes more often. But I contrast that with my mom that was very lenient with us. And I did everything you could have imagined under the sun with her leniency. Take advantage of the time you have, children. Listen to your parents. And when you get older, continue to honor them. The teaching is simple, but it's hard to practice. Easy to learn, hard to live. But you practice these things, receive your discipline, as was already read in Hebrews 12, verse 11. At times, discipline is without its joy, but it does bring the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And that's the goal that your mom and dad have for you. Last thing I want to share 
is just as the husband and wife relationship needs grace, parent and children. I don't know when the first time it was that Julie and I took evaluation, but it was while we were in Georgia. We took evaluation as parents, and I don't even know if our daughters remember, our oldest daughters remember, but I do remember specifically, I don't know what the date was, but sitting down with our children and apologizing to them for all the ways that we mess up as parents. I think it's a good thing for children to know that we as parents, not only are we not perfect, we're far from it. And they need to know that. But it allows for them to be forgiving. Just as we are forgiving of our children when they mess up, we want them to be forgiving. Grace is going to be needed on both sides. As parents, we don't always make the best choice from their decision, let alone from our vantage point of our decisions. We think they're good for, for them. Sometimes it's just convenience on our part. And that's why God said they have done it, disciplining in Hebrews 12, verses, uh, I think, 8 and 9. They've done it as was best for them. But I discipline you as best for you and your profit. And so because we're not perfect as parents and because we know our children are not perfect, we've got to be gracious toward each other. Otherwise, we'll run our children off or we'll give our parents a mental breakdown. Little funny, but not so funny at all. It happens. All right, here's the application. Just as we started this series, we're finishing it up this morning. Put God first. You know, for all that we do, I remember this when I was in college. In college, I mean, I... I, didn't apply myself in high school, but in college, I put a lot of time in study. And that's in addition to three jobs, in addition to wrestling in college. I mean, my morning was packed from morning till the time I went to sleep at one or two in the morning. And it was on a daily basis. It was packed. But it's all full of this world. I am so glad to share with you and hopefully encourage you that when I became a Christian, my studies actually went down dramatically. It's still, I was still doing what I needed to do, and I did what I thought was a good job, but I never studied anywhere close to what I had done because I spent all of my time learning God's Word. I mean, saturating my life with God's Word and sharing it with all throughout the campus on the college campus. God is first. And as parents and as children, we need to learn that. Not learn it just here, but learn it by the way Jesus learned obedience, by living it. If you can do that by putting God first, brother, I'm telling you, you'll see differences in our Bible class settings, in, the, in, the, in our home settings, in school settings, at the park, or among your friends, at the workplace. Huge difference. But put God first. And all these things, God will supply us. Sounds like Matthew 6.33, paraphrased. <laughs> but that's exactly what God has promised us. And be willing to confess our, our faults to one another. It's healthy and good for the soul. It's good for the family relationship. Speaking of family relationships, the husband-wife relationship, the parent-child relationship is seen in Scripture. That's why those who have called upon the name of the Lord, those who have turned away from this life and turned to our Heavenly Father are called sons of God. In the household of faith, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. And guess what? God is calling you if you're here and you're not a child of God. 
God is calling you to become one in his family. You have an opportunity. The question is, do you desire to come in this family of God? It's getting more difficult, I want you to know. You have to count the cost. Christianity of yesteryear is, is going by the wayside, and I'm grateful for it. It's an easy, sit-in-the-pew Christianity. But it's not biblical discipleship. True Christianity is that we look like his son, Jesus Christ, where we give up our lives. We sacrifice our lives for the cause of Christ. And part of it looks like in the way we live within our families. If you want to become a Christian... I want you to know it will be the most difficult decision you'll make, but the best. God is calling you to become his child right now. You can be buried in Christ. We've got watery grave right here for you. Walk in newness of life. And if you want to return like the prodigal son, after our Bible study this morning, I would love that if anyone is secretly is living in sin, make it known. We pray for you, brethren. Not harm you, not gossip, but love you. Love you the way Jesus has loved us. If that's your calling right now, why don't you come together as we stand and sing the song.